welcome to the Real Appeal Podcast. This is your host and writer for your entertainment corner, Kelsey Loizel. And with me today is my co-host. Bah. <laughs> Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Can you? You know, has anybody actually ever tried to eat a tumor? I'm sure they have, because they probably did some stupid backwards fucking scientific bullshit. Yeah, see, where they're like, I'm a real scientist. I ate a brain tumor and I'll never get cancer. I don't have cancer. See, that's proof. Or maybe like... They Even though they were never going to get cancer anyway. Or, or maybe they did it, a scientist did it to see if there's any benefits from eating a, a, a tumor or anything like that. Oh, this is uh, Marcel Cito, uh, managing editor and writer at Screen Geek. Maybe... If you eat a brain tumor, mm-hmm. you can smell the last thing that person, like... Smelled? Mm-hmm. I'm going to look up that. <laughs> this, is like, this is shit that you Google in the middle of the night. Is anybody eating a brain tumor? And this is in no way making fun of the people who have, who have had brain tumors or lost loved ones of that, you know, ailment. It's just... It's one of those moments where, let me think about that. And surprisingly, we're not high. And Surprising? You make it sound like we're always high. <laughs> I'm sure the things we talk about, people are like, they gotta be stoned as fuck. <laughs> Actually, we never are. Just so you know. Says you. No, <laughs> it's All of my, my wit and my charm is au natural. <laughs> au natural. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> And my stupidity and ignorance and inability to say things correctly is au naturel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, yours is au de toilette. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's where everything <laughs> comes out of my mouth is in the toilet. Mm-hmm. Au de a toilette. <laughs> you can't even say it right. Toilet. Uh, I can barely speak the English language well. I think I can. Do you know what that is? An o to toilet. No. I know that's that's the stuff that's on like perfume and like cologne yeah, bottles and stuff. Yeah, this is basically like perfume. Yeah. Smelling like shit. No, you smell like roses. <laughs> I smell like shit. Shitty roses. Yeah. <laughs> what? Gross. <laughs> None. This go. Did that, did that make you like? Have a oh shit! That was a quit. No. Oh my. <laughs> Yeah, I got it in there. <laughs> your brain to your brain tumor for breakfast. I'm like, damn, that is something. That is something Kelsey would ask out of fucking nowhere, not thinking that that's your actual quote. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Real Appeal Two E's in Real. You can email us at therealappeal at gmail.com. If you could please review us. So that we could get noticed on iTunes. Um, and our segments for this week's show, our recent review of The Black Phone, our variety time, is Heather's Change Teen Comedy Forever. And our geriatric cinematic is Heather's, which came out in 1989. Mark. Yes. What's the Turpic? You know... I mean, this isn't the Turpic, but I, for a brief second, I thought, oh, should I get the modulator ready? And I realized, no, no, that was last week's episode. <laughs> anyway, the Turpic is... <laughs> By the way, Erica loved that. Oh, did she? she? She does the thing that you do. And I told her that you do the thing 
And then she was doing the thing. What's the what's the thing? Repeating things forever. Oh, <laughs> so like, she was like, like consumption. And I told her exactly about consumption. <laughs> she just kept saying, uh, "Origins from outer space." <laughs> She'd be working, and that's all I was hearing for it's half hilarious. the day. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the Turbic, although not as memorable, is uh, killing it in high school or getting killed while in high school. Mm-hmm. Some people would take that, metaphorically speaking, as well. I think it would, you know, just be like, "Hey, are we in high school, mm-hmm. or are you in six feet underground school?" Ta-da! <sighs> Man. Okay. Anyway, so we got some <laughs> announcements to make. Um. So, Mark's brain's not working. I know. I'm I'm actually trying to think about when did we do this? Two years ago, I guess? A year ago? Whenever the last season of Westworld came out. Yeah. During season three of Westworld, we had put aside a segment called. I don't even remember what the fuck it was called. I want to say Decoding Westworld, but that's that's not our segment. That's. uh, I bet you I, I could find it too. Um. It, anyway, so we did a segment that we pretty much deconstructed. Uh, I remember it might have actually been deconstruction Westworld. Um, no, I think it was called rebooting Westworld. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. So yeah, we did a segment. I believe it was called Rebo- rebooting Westworld, where Kelsey and I would spend about mm, what 15, 20, 30 minutes, something like that, talking about uh, that week's episode of Westworld season three. Um, and you know we you know we had our thoughts and our theories and stuff like that and now here we are in the uh year 2022 the year of our lord and savior um where's westworld season 4 has come to fruition um so since we've kind of changed up our whole thing you know we're not doing weekly episodes and we're not you know we're you know, working on new formats and stuff like that to keep this show entertaining. Um, what we decided to do is that we are actually going to talk about Westworld, but we're going to wait until the season finale. Um, uh, Kelsey and I are going to watch every we're going to watch every episode week to week. Take our notes, write like little journal entries of what we think about it, and then we are going to uh, dedicate an entire show uh, to cover the entire season because. Like, I did like it when you and I were talking about Westworld um, as the episodes were coming out. Mm-hmm. But I always, I honestly, I always felt like we, we, ha- we had to rush it. Because we, 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 like, we had a lot to say. Mm-hmm. So, and some of the episodes weren't that great. So I felt like you were kind of dragging me through it. You know, like you had to like, come on, say something. Mm-hmm. And then also other times it was just like I had so much to say and I just didn't have enough time. And then the episodes was going on forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, and, and one of the reasons why we're keeping a journal, a journal of every episode that we watch. I mean, like I said, we're not going to watch, we're not going to binge it in one sitting. We're going to watch it week by week and then do a journal entry because we want to like come back and look at it and see if our theories are correct and then kind of take a note, taking notes and stuff like that and see how much like our ideas of what the fuck is going on this season is like evolving. Um, so I'm actually pretty excited about that because like it really allows me time to like super hyper focus on like. The what whole. the fuck does the theme, <laughs> the title theme mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, which I, I will say, 
I feel like this season's title sequence, not as complex as the previous ones. I feel like the previous ones, you could take a lot from it. Mm -hmm. But like there's some of it I was like, all right, I already know what that means. I know what that means. I think I I can understand what these two figures mean and stuff like that. Like I feel like... I don't know. I feel like I feel like they didn't. Uh, don't get me wrong. It still is impressive. Like I still love that theme, that Westworld theme. Mm-hmm. Like uh, today, while at work, I was listening to seasons one through three, uh, the soundtrack for Westworld, uh, to like help me go through the go through my work and write and stuff like that. And the funny thing is, like I put down in my playlist, I had season one, the main theme, right? And I was like, damn, it's a good theme. So I was like, you know, what? I'll just. <laughs> I'll just put in season two and season three, the main theme, even though they're like basically the same. I think there's like little variations of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, nah, just keep it in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let, letting it come to me naturally instead of just hitting repeat <laughs> on the computer. You should find it mm-hmm. and use it as your waking up alarm. Mm-hmm. Nah. Nah, I stopped doing that. I I used to do that. I used to have certain main things wake me up. Like I used to have uh, the thing from Twin Peaks. That used to that, that used to be my alarm clock. Yeah. Um, but then like over time, it just gets really annoying, or it gets like yeah, it doesn't it doesn't ha- it loses some of the effect. Yeah, like the one song you used to have as your um, ringtone, Flying Lotus. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. But now I just go with the standard of like you know whatever the. That's how, yeah, that's that's the alarm. Um, I don't know. You have anything to add to the um, to our decisions to make? Uh, to our decisions. To our decisions. <laughs> our questionable decisions on everything. No, the decision on on uh, dedicating a whole episode to Westworld. It's going to be lit. It's gonna be lit. It's mm-hmm. gonna be on fire. It's gonna be off the chain. It's gonna slap. That's just gonna clap. That's just gonna bounce. Tap. It's gonna tap. <laughs> it's gonna bounce. It's gonna pap. It's gonna ew. <laughs> ew. <laughs> Gross. It's gonna dap. <sighs> All right, you wanna get to our review? No. <laughs> Please, can we get into our review? <laughs> it's gonna sap. <laughs> Yes, we can get into our review. What? You can tell I'm not feeling good because now I got the giggles. No, oh my God. <laughs> now we're going to do our recent review of The Black Phone. I'll be home in the morning. Where are you going? I'm staying over at Susie's tonight. What's new? The flyer. The papers call him the grabber. I wish you wouldn't call him that. You don't actually believe that story, do you? Because he can't hear you and he doesn't really take kids that safe. You goof. Well, isn't that just peachy king? You need some help? You see that? Yeah. <laughs> Would you hand me my hat? Yes, sir. I am a part-time magician. Are those black balloons in there? Would you like to see a magic trick? I have an announcement to make. One of our students, Finney Blake, was abducted. What if I could help the police find Finny? 
doesn't work. Not since I was a kid. I'll scream. I'll scratch your face. This face? The synopsis is, after being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. Grammatical error. What's the grammatical error? Child killer. Child killer. Oh, so that's assuming that it's a child killer? If you put a hyphen in there, it would be a child killer. But, like, there's no hyphen, so the killer is a child. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's from IMDb. I highly doubt they really... (laughs) I mean, as evident as, like, all the other synopsis we've read in the past, it's like, that's all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Directed by Scott Derrickson. Almost a Derkinson. Written by C. Robert Cargyle and Scott Derrickson. Stars Mason Thames, Madeline McGraw, Ethan Hawke, Jeremy Davies, E. Roger Mitchell, Troy Rudisile. <laughs> Rudisile. <laughs> Itchy foot, try Rudisile. <laughs> and no, and no jokes on the actor. I just, I just think of. But also, I'm sure I said it wrong. So Rudisile. So let's go to Rudisile. Fuck it. Why not? It's a rude seal. He comes up and he claps and he. Makes loud noises in your face. Okay. And he steals your food. Sounds that rude seal. That. <laughs> so I, I that name suits the actor then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Scott Derrickson's uh, the Black Phone. Um. I remember this movie was supposed to come out last year. And they got pushed back because of the whole pandemic. Theaters weren't really opening up, uh, which, you know, makes sense. Um, I, I had the fortunate, uh, the uh, fortunate, uh, what's the word? Um, nature? Act? Whatever. Of you att- had the fortune. I had the fortune. Yeah, see, there you go. I had the fortune of actually <laughs> watching this movie. You had the fortunate fortune. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can't want to say fortunate. I had, I had the fortunate fortunate. I had the fortune of attending a screening of this movie um, with Scott Derrick, Scott Derrickson. I always want to say Derrickson. Me too. Derrickson, C. Robert Cargo. At uh, it was last year's Beyond Fest. Um, uh, you know, with uh, I believe Mike Flanagan was doing the was doing the moder- was the moderator, which I thought was pretty badass. Um, and I was I was actually curious of rewatching this movie because when I had saw it in theaters. I saw it at the Beyond Fest. You know, Kelsey and I have been to Beyond Fest, what, going on, what, four years now or something like that? Something like that. And every time we go to a screening, it's a, it's a good time. People are hooting, hollering, they're cheering, they're just, it's having a ball, you know. Um, people and dress up sometimes. People dress up, you know, if beer is served, people drink, it's it's a good time. Um, so, with, so I was very curious to see um, if... The experience of watching this movie with a crowd, I was like clapping and enjoying this movie. If it would continue on without that crowd, different setting, just at the theater. Um, if, if the movie was still enjoyable, and I have to say that I watching it a second time still enjoyed the fuck out of this movie. I thought this was a really great horror film. Do you think maybe Beyond Fest created that nostalgia for you? No. No, no, no. Because I came, I came in watching this movie, very uh, 
cautious, thinking like I, pro- I I might not I might not like it as much as I did, or I might have just been in the moment or of it or something like that, or maybe like a second viewing it would just it would just have lost its steam during mm. the second viewing, and I don't and I honestly don't think it did. Okay. What did you, what did you think of this movie? Uh, I thought it was a good movie, but for some reason I couldn't get attached to it, if that makes sense. Like, I couldn't mm-hmm. immerse myself in it. Okay. I guess I I could view it objectively, I guess, as, like, mm-hmm. this is enjoyable, it's not cheesy, like, mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke's character is great, Yeah. yada, 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 but I just couldn't feel what any of the characters were feeling like i usually do really even even the kid uh Feeney, uh even the kid who played finney or uh the actress who played gwen the, the younger sister the only thing that broke through for me was when um the father was beating the shit out of her yeah yeah and, you know that's not really like a huge spoiler but yeah yeah and, and i and i think that goes that I think that goes that goes in hand with with people who have been in that situation growing up. They've mm-hmm. had a parent who uh, was in some way abusive. Mm-hmm. They you know they were a bit too strict or witnessing it or witnessing it. Yeah, exactly. Or witnessing it. And I and that scene in particular that you're talking about. Yeah, I felt that scene because I I know you have a thing about belts. <laughs> yeah, a, a particular belt. Yeah, <laughs> a one particular belt that I think it's at this current time is probably like burning in hell. <laughs> um okay so what what uh you said you couldn't attach yourself to the movie Mm -hmm. okay what 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 did you like of the movie if if there's anything that you could say so first let me be really clear Mm -hmm. i'm saying that this was a good movie Mm -hmm. but not as phenomenal as maybe i'm I'm selling it Mm -hmm. okay gotcha um and it probably will be for other people Mm-hmm. phenomenal to them too yeah. so i'm gonna say that my opinion on this you should take as just a critical eye yeah. and with a grain of salt and you should watch it mm-hmm. um okay what i liked mm-hmm. the aesthetic i liked how kind of dark and grim everything was or it was kind of brown mm-hmm. because of the setting you know like the year that they're in and like yeah especially since it takes place it takes place in the 70s, 70s but it doesn't exactly say what time of the 70s maybe like at the tail end of it or something like that yeah um and i also really liked ethan Hawke's character mm-hmm. um Though I don't think the movie does a great job of showing you, like, like what the fuck is he doing? Mm-hmm. Usually, so here's the thing, and I think this is maybe partly feeds why I couldn't get attached to the movie. Okay. Every time you see a movie about someone mm-hmm. who abducts people or kills people or whatever... Mm-hmm. If it's a mystery, they're looking for the person. Okay. Or you know the serial killer and you know what their fucking motives are and you're watching it from his perspective. Okay. Okay. Right? Yeah. Or if it is from the perspective of the um, abductee or the, you know. The victim. The victim. Like the level of depravity and what 
what they want to do is very, very clear. Mm, okay. Okay. I don't really feel like I understood his motive. Who, the Ethan Hawke's character? or mm-hmm. the, Okay. Like, I, he doesn't explain it. His actions are kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I'm not going to give it away. I'll save that for the spoilers. But I just felt like he was great in the role. He had great acting. Mm-hmm. Um, there just wasn't enough content for me to understand what the fuck was wrong with him or what mm-hmm. was he doing. Now, now with you saying that, do you think that it would have... It, it, it the, your opinion might have swayed more to the positive side if, like, maybe the killer was a bit more, I don't know, violent, more dangerous scene as 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 opposed of like it's ambiguous of what he's gonna do to the kid. I mean, there's an idea that he's gonna like sexually assault the kid, but they don't explicitly say it. They just kind of like uh, see Robert Cargos and and and. Scott Derrickson's writing kind of just alludes to the idea of like, oh yeah, these kids are probably like sexually assaulted. Not just that, but mm-hmm. there's like in the trailers you can see it. There's a bed in the basement. Why do you need a bed? Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I just think that usually the torture is drawn out and it starts small and it gets bigger and i feel like there Mm. maybe was almost none until there was something popping off Mm, okay you know what i mean yeah i can see that i can see that um i thought the person upstairs Mm -hmm. was kind of like a last minute ad Oh, the the uh, the brother. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can he I can didn't definitely really fit. I can see that. I can see the brother, the brother character who's uh, his. The actor's name is escaping me right now, but I can see, I can see that being added for a bit more. Oh, his name is Max. The character's name is Max. I can see that character being in the movie for the sake of having more of a, uh, like adding a suspense value. Not adding that, but adding more of a comedic value to it. Oh, the scare, the character's name is uh, James uh, Ranson. Well, that, that's the actor's name. Yeah, that's the actor's name. Yeah, the actor's name who played who played Max. I can see them ask uh, them at, adding that character for a bit of a more comedic value. Mm-hmm. Even though I think uh, I think the uh, the actress Madeline McGraw who played Gwen, I thought she was like great as in holding all the comedy in that uh, within the movie. Mm-hmm. Because one, like the vulgarity of the stuff she said, and then how she's pretty much like, like, she's you, a little woman already. Like, yeah, she's yeah. Just like she, I'm gonna live my life. She actually reminded me a lot of uh, the little girl from Psycho Gorman. Oh yeah. That's and I'm surprised. Did, did you just realize that? Yeah, I didn't think about okay. it. I thought I thought you would like cast it when we were watching it. I thought, I was actually looking at you like, okay, she's gonna see that's like Psycho Gorman. That's the girl from Strike. Not that's that that's not the girl, but the character Rexus is like like that, mm-hmm. just a little pull back. But yeah. but still, it's still you know still enjoyable to watch. Well, probably also because the little girl from Psycho Gorman, even though she was a really strong character, was still a child. Mm-hmm. Like this girl wasn't like a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but also. One of the other things that I really liked mm-hmm. was the way in which um, the character Finney, the one who gets abducted. Yeah, Mason uh, Mason Thames, I think you pronounce his last name. I said Thames. Thames? Okay, Mason Thames. Thames. Mm-hmm. 
uh, how he interacts with um, the previous victims. Oh, like through the phone and everything? Yeah. I really yeah, like yeah. the visual of it. Yeah. I like that the message sometimes is clear, but sometimes isn't always clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I really actually like that. Okay. And, and then um, the sister, I like the part that she played. Mm-hmm. Like what, like in all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the person who might have, uh, what's it called, like foresight or whatever, or precog or whatever that she mm-hmm. kind of is. She might, she may or may not have some type of like psychic ability. Like she's like, might be clairvoyant or yeah, something. Yeah, clairvoyant. Thank you. That's the correct word. That's what I was thinking of. Um, it's, it's funny how you say that because like, like even, um, like you said that like maybe somewhat them holding back was it was kind of like a detriment towards the film and stuff like that or we didn't get like a clear understanding of what the killer wanted i actually thought that actually that worked well because like in 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 a lot of horror films especially like horror films now there's just a killer he's just killing people or something like that right and then then there's the reveal of like oh this is why they're doing this because of some you know past tra- a tragedy happened or you know maybe they're they're not well in the head or something like that right and it kind of like gives more of like the killer like more attention in the film than like let's say the victim you know where the victim's just like ah like running away and screaming and stuff like that i within this movie even though like it's funny because even though I, the ads are like this is the grabber this is the killer and stuff like that i i think that wasn't i think that was just intentional as in to like sell this movie for people to watch but i think the fact that like the focus was more on the kid and the victims and how there's like a supernatural element of like helping this uh potential victim survive i thought i that's the part i really liked. that's the part i like that they really focused on and it really actually seemed very refreshing to be like um Using the not using the the past victims help this current victim survivor find a way to get out. I I mean I like that idea and, and mm. I thought that was the best part of the movie, but I mm. just felt like they didn't they could have without making it about the killer mm. turned it up. Oh okay, you gotcha. know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm. I can see your point of view. Just give him a little bit more psychological torture i guess because mm-hmm. mostly he's just like glaring around like mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> he, he seems like <laughs> uh, ethan hawk's character the grabber he seems like somebody who read too many batman comic books and was like i totally get the joker <laughs> 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 like that right <laughs> even like that part where he's like uh this is not spoiled at all it's 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 you know it's in the trailer where uh the kid says like oh scratch your face and he was like he says something like oh you would hurt this face and it's like smile and it's like yo dude well, why why am i getting joker vibes from this shit you know and not, yeah. not not the top philip joker like the comical uh deter- um interpretation of the character yeah um okay so with that so being- you're saying you want to see ethan hawk play the joker no <laughs> fuck no <laughs> um okay so with that being said uh can you go a little bit more into the performance i, I remember you did say that correct me if I'm wrong that you did enjoy ethan hawk's performance right i liked i think everybody's performance okay all right the only two that i didn't love love was mm-hmm. max because the, yeah the brother mm-hmm. he was just an idiot mm-hmm. 
And the father, I think, sometimes felt like he was pushing the emotion a little too much. Like, it, you could almost tell it was fake. Mm, okay, I got But it you. wasn't that unbelievable. It was just, like, mm. a little bit. The father played by uh, Jeremy Davis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Davies. Davies, th- thank you. Um, it, it's funny, because, like, that actor, I've seen him in a bunch of other stuff. And he Doesn't seems, he usually play, like, a bad guy? or he, like? Oh, he, the, the only, there's only been, like, one time I can say he didn't play a bad guy, and that was in Loss. And that was, like, the first time I saw him. But he seems to always play this, not, I don't say this type of character, but this type of redneck hillbilly-esque kind of, like, soft-spoken but very violent character. Mm-hmm. Even, like, the haircut. Like, he, the haircut... Seems to be his thing, like just period. This is his haircut, you know. He's he'll show like if he shows up in current in a film, a contemporary film, that haircut. If he shows up in a pirate adventure, that haircut. Watch, he's the next James Bond. That haircut. I know that haircut. He's the next Q. <laughs> that haircut. <laughs> but I get what you're saying about Jeremy uh, Jeremy Davies. Um, yeah, I wasn't too impressed by his performance. Um, but I was very impressed with mm. the little girl. Yeah, Madeline McGraw. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought his friend, um, Finney's friend, Robin, was kind of interesting. Oh, Miguel uh, Carreza Mora. Yeah, he... <sighs> he had like a, like a baby face or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He just didn't see... He didn't look like a tough kid. Like, mm-hmm. you ju- you can't just put clothes on a kid and make him a tough kid. Like, mm-hmm. he wasn't tough. Well, maybe it's because, you know, size doesn't matter when you're that tough. It wasn't his size. Or maybe... He just didn't look intimidating at all. He looks very intimidating. He had a, he had a vendetta. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I'm joking. He did look intimidating. But I did like the fact that, like, of all the kids that were, like, the total badass, it was the Latino kid. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, was like, I like that, too. I like I like that. Um, go for you. You go, you go. Scott Der- Derrickson. <laughs> Derkinson. Derrickson. Derrickson, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I will have to say that my two favorite would mm. be Madeline McGraw and Ethan Hawke. Okay. Okay. What, so what did you think about, uh, what did you think about the writing? Uh, be, uh, between uh, Scott Der- Derrickson. 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 Thank you. Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill. <laughs> what? Um... It was serviceable. Really? Okay. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. bad. It you know it made sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll say that it feels like it's based off a novel, and they really went like true to the book. But it feels very novelly to me. Okay, so yeah, it is. It is based off a short story by Joe Hill. Um, the story is only twenty pages long, mm-hmm. and. I will agree that like I'm like I've never read the short story, but I do get a sense that they did stay true to what the short story uh, had. Mm-hmm. But I kind of felt like they really had to stretch it to make it like an almost two-hour feature film. Yeah. Um, like I said, I have no idea how the short story is, but I would imagine the short story probably takes it play takes place mostly inside that room or something. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I did get a sense, and don't get me wrong, like out of out of out of their writing, they've worked before. Uh, let me see. I want, I want to make sure I get this correct. I believe the duo has worked before uh, together on Sinister. Um, I believe uh, Doctor Strange. Let me see. Sinister. 
Yeah, Doctor Strange. Oh, okay. And, another, and this one, too. So so I'll say that kind of tracks, then, because I don't know about that first one, but Doctor Strange mm-hmm. kind of felt like it was on a very linear path, too, like mm, this okay. one did. Uh, like, like, it doesn't feel like it flows perfectly. It just felt like, matter of fact, here's mm. the facts. Like, we're going through this story. Okay. And and they have worked together as well for the sequel of Sinister. Uh, the sequel of Sinister was in Sinister 2. So, I've seen Sinister. I know Kelsey has seen Doctor Strange, and now she's seen The Black Phone. Um, personally, out of these three, I think this is their best. Mm-hmm. Their best writing. Uh, don't get me wrong. I enjoy Doctor Strange for what it was, but, like, I, you know... it. These these are two guys who have been known to work close in horror, especially C. Robert Cargo, Cargo who is more of a horror slash fantasy author. Mm-hmm. And this one kind of like gets into his wheelhouse, especially since it's like Joe Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think the writing, like I said, I think this is their best writing. Now, you know, let's not forget that I, you know, it does feel a bit stretched. Like they probably could have shaved off. Maybe 10 minutes of this movie? I think it's like an hour, 40 minutes. They could have shaved like maybe 10 minutes. Turn up the suspense and do something with all that time that you have. Yeah. Like fill it with something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I said, I'm not going to knock the movie. I honestly feel like um, it almost feels like R.L. Stein or like... Well, you I know, are you afraid of the dark or something? Like I, I would, definitely got a sense of that. Though. Yeah. Are you afraid of the dark? Definitely got a sense like of that. Like if I took my fourteen year old to this, mm-hmm. she'd be totally freaked out. Like she really? I think she would like totally dig this movie. I th- I think my daughter would totally like it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I like think, I think I think they meant it for adults, but it actually more fits like the mm-hmm. the preteen to maybe like twenty year old, like immature twenty year old, like mm-hmm. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Demographic. Oh, okay. Uh, let me see what Steve. Let me see. Skins. Uh. In anyways, <clears throat> what's it rated? Rated R. Oh. Is it rated R? The answer is C. Yeah, I think it's rated C. <laughs> like PG seven. Uh, PG seventeen. PG thirteen. Um, That's what I think it should have been. I'm trying to remember. I saw there was a there was a really, I think there was a really funny quote. That Stephen King had said about uh, oh, okay 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 I, I just found it right now. Uh, Stephen King had said that the black phone was like stand by me in hell, <laughs> and I I can kind of I can actually kind of get that. I didn't I don't think I've watched Stand by Me. No 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 I remember that I th- believe that was that was one of the options. Uh, oh it was. For us I remember I wanted to watch it too. Oh Stand by Me. Mm-hmm. Well you should have picked it then. No because we had other th- shit that we needed to do. Like. Heather's? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want to get into the uh, into the spoiler section? Yeah. Okay. I forgot we were in it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm kind of watching like, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. <laughs> okay. So we're going to get into the spoiler section of the movie. We're, we're going to talk in great lengths about uh, Scott Derrickson. Nope. Derrickson? Yep. God fucking damn it. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Derrickson. he's probably listening to the show. I know, right? And he's like, "Fuck it, my last name's Durkinson." You now. know what? I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, if if he's listening. And I know you are, Scott Durkinson. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, "I'm used." People normally say that, mm-hmm. Derrickson. But no, Scott Durkinson. No, Derrickson. Yes. Derrickson. 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 All right. 
Scott Derrickson. Yes. You're listening. <laughs> it's not Scott Derrickson. My bad, man. My bad. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to talk Did about... Did you eat a brain tumor for breakfast? <laughs> Derrickson, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. So we're gonna get into, our spoil- into spoilers for uh, Scott Derrickson's uh-huh. "The Black Phone." Derrickson. Derrickson, all right. So Derrickson, 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 Derrickson. That actually reminds me of. Uh, <laughs> that actually reminds me of when we went to uh, the Secret Movie Club mm-hmm. and Craig, oh. Craig Hamill had a hard time like remembering your name, and he was like, "Kelsey, how you doing?" Kelsey. <laughs> I kind of felt bad yourself? for like Kelsey. calling him out on it. <laughs> I just thought it was funny because uh, I came up the stairs first, and he's like, "Oh, hey, welcome," and then you came up right behind me, and yeah. he's like, "Oh, hey." Oh, now I remember you. I'm like, you never remember me until you see him. And then he and, felt bad. And you know what? He does. He he fully remembers you. Uh, so now he does. Sometimes. I mean, <laughs> as, as my therapist said, when is the best time to plant a tree? Whenever. Ten years ago. When is the best time to plant a tree? Whenever. Right now. <laughs> um. Oh, so what I, what I was going to say with that is whenever I talk to him on, uh, whenever I hit him up on Messenger, just to kind of like shoot the shit or kind of like have a, a suggestion from him or, or for him or anything, he always says, he always includes your name in the conversation. <laughs> He's like, Kelsey, Mark, how are you two doing? Really? <laughs> yeah, like if I'm there with you yeah. on the social media? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I know, right? I know. You might as well just add me in there then. In the conversation? Yeah. Oh, yeah, shit. I don't know why I haven't. Because <laughs> um, you like playing both characters. Yeah. <laughs> you can I'm be kidding. both light and positivity and brooding and dark. Who's, well, who's the light side? You. I want to be the dark side. I want to be brooding. No, because, you know. That's all you? you, you well, you tell me it is. And then you're always like, oh, it's not that bad. Until I convince you otherwise. Yeah, and you're like, oh, bad. yeah, you're right. It is that bad. <laughs> Anyway, so the black phone. Um, okay, so you, one of the things you had complained about was uh, the grabber's actions and that they were weird. Not just weird, mm-hmm. but um, empty. Empty. Okay, can you go into a little bit more uh, detail with that? So I like the, I really liked how he grabbed the kids. Like he would use the black balloons mm-hmm. to kind of like hide the fact that he's grabbing this kid yeah to like get their attention or to be like i'm a musician or some shit like that well no not just that but i mean when he actually grabs them yeah like it obfuscates like anybody being able to see that there's a child inside of those balloons and and i think it adds a level of like eeriness to it like the fact that like who uses black balloons other other than it's it's like a other than the goo goo dolls (sighs) the fuck don't remember that fucking song (laughs) Um, no, like, like the only people who use black balloons are like, like rich, rich, uh, snotty kids, you know, black and gold or some shit like that. Or in this case, like child, <laughs> child, like, uh, child killers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but go on, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, and then he sprays something in the kid's face while the kid is trying to get like, is all like discombobulated from the balloons and shit. Can't yeah, see. Yeah. 
Um, so I like how he does that whole shtick. Mm-hmm. Um, but then afterwards, when he has the kid in the basement, mm-hmm. he just is kind of like, no, we can be friends. Or like, oh, you don't have to worry about that. Or yeah, I'm not. Gonna I'm hurt. not gonna feed you right now. Yeah, I'm not gonna hurt you. Like. You totally are, dude. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, okay, here's a plate of eggs and a drink. Mm. But I definitely didn't put anything in it, or I might have, but I definitely didn't. Mm. You know, or, like, <sighs> then the fact that he goes upstairs, and you don't find out till like, way later in the movie, mm. and he just sits in that chair and waits for the kid to come out. Now, see, now, that part I, I did like, especially like the I especially like the fact that, like, the one of the previous victims was like, don't, like don't go up there. Like he, like in order for him to like hurt you, you have to play his game. I would have liked to see more of a game, mm, right? Okay, that's what I'm saying. Like, mm. okay, maybe he steps it up each time. Maybe he mm. doesn't play Mister Nice until he just fucking flat out tries to kill him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Like, what if he gives him three strikes and you're out? And the yeah, first time yeah. he punishes him, and the second time it's worse, and then the third time you're dead. You know I what I mean? That. So I that there's that. a little bit more push and pull instead of mm-hmm. like it being like really bland until mm-hmm. action time at the very end. Like mm-hmm. that's what I didn't like about it. it so, and it's, so it's not a bad movie. I just yeah, that just that part. It's was just it. very tame. Yeah, I, honestly, I think. I honestly think that that was a conscious decision um, for the for the writing duo and the directing because, you know, when it comes to like horror, when it comes to like mistreating kids like that, you're like teetering on exploitation, like rated X, like no, like you know, of course, like I, I like I even have a problem just hearing a baby cry because like or or a little kid crying like I was a. Uh, what was I doing? I was walking across the street and there was this little girl crying with her mother. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't, obviously I don't know what the story's going on, but clearly like the, the kid was just crying because maybe they were annoyed by something. And the mother's just like walking with this kid, like, all right, like whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but like just hearing that kid cry was like, it sent chills up my spine. It's a, actually a biological response. Mm, okay. I don't know if you know that, but I, 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 not I everyone did. has it, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely like you hear a kid crying, you want to fix it. Yeah. Like, well, see, like I thought, I thought I could only incorporate that towards, uh, towards my own child. Like, don't get me wrong. Like children suffering and stuff like that. It's very hurtful, but like, um, seeing it, cr- seeing a per- kid cry. Like, I'm kind of like, I don't know their story. I don't know exactly why they're crying. And it, it, and from what I saw it, like, it wasn't like the kid was suffering. It's not like the mother was beating the shit out of the kid or anything like that i don't know what happened prior but from what i saw it, nothing of a violent nature but still i was like uh, yeah you know, all that yeah it's definitely about yeah, yeah. It, you can respond to other people's kids too yeah and i think and i even think even though you hate kids yes <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> not as much as the grabber no the grabber loves kids yeah um, that's why he steals them all <laughs> but I, I think with uh c robert cargo and scott don't derrickson Yep. Yes, Scott. All right. Anyway, <laughs> Derrickson, I feel like that they were like, we can't go hard because it's going to turn people off. And I think they were afraid, like, they don't want to turn people off, especially if it's with kids. Yeah, they definitely forgot about it. That's true. That is very true. I don't think that it's 
a good excuse. I know what uh, you're saying, and they probably did think the same thing that you're saying, so I'm mm-hmm. not saying you're wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's a good excuse to be like, oh, I don't, the, you know, like, why the fuck write it then? Well, and also, and, and like, I, like your example of it, it works, but at the same time, it doesn't work because it is more of a supernatural element. This is without a doubt a more realistic element. Like, of like, this is this is stuff like this, but he doesn't have to, like, he doesn't have to do things to the child that, like, Mm. beat the shit out of him. Mm -hmm. I mean, the one the father beat the shit out of the kid, we saw that in all of its fucking glory, yeah, yeah, you're right. And and that hit, and that was the only part that really did hit for me. And then I'm saying you don't. You can take the sexual part completely out of it, because yeah, yeah. they're real, they didn't really do anything anyways. They just kind of made you think maybe they'll go there, but then they didn't. Yeah. Um, and they could have been made it more of like a psychological torture. Mm, you don't. Mm, you mm. can punish. There's more than one way to punish somebody. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like they could have gotten creative and mm. done something that wasn't like almost like a snuff film. Yeah. For you know. Yeah, like okay. I mean, obviously, this this it obviously they didn't do this idea, and who the fuck am I to tell them like they should have done this idea? But just to throw out like a hypothetical scene or something like that, it could have been something where maybe the grabber like sh- had like striked a kid or had actually striked Finny, uh-huh. you know? But like he would he could have seen that like Finny getting hit is like like bitch, I get this every day. Like you need to do harder or something like that. And mm-hmm. then maybe that could have stepped up. That could have had the grabber step up his game. His mm-hmm. his level because it's it's not implied that the grabber is an idiot. Like the grabber has been thinking, it has 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 the fortitude and the, the 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 thought to like plan these kills out, and like the fact that like there are two separate houses to like, um, to kind of distance himself from like the bodies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe they could have gave the grabber a bit more intelligence. Uh, to do what he was trying to do as to, like you said, make it more of a psychological kind of thing. Right. Okay. Also, mm. at the end, mm-hmm. when they're like, oh, here's this other house where he buried the bodies. Yeah. That was really fucking weird. Who owns two houses right across the street from each other? One. Mm. Two, why wouldn't you put the kid in the empty house? Hmm. Maybe or you could have built something. You didn't need all of that space in the basement. It seemed like that basement had been there for like, like that. That basement was at one point probably like a bomb shelter. He still could have built something. He had enough money clearly because he had two houses. That's true. That's true. Maybe like building that would have been too much of a an attention or something like that. Maybe. Maybe he could have been renovating the other house. Who knows? That's true. That's true, but clearly, like, I, the character was, like, covering his tracks well enough that, like, it had to take some type of, you know, what's it, what, uh, what's the word that you use uh, with the sister? Uh, is it what, clairvoyance. Clairvoyance. A level of clairvoyance to, like, get to find out where he was or to find the bodies or something like that. Um, and that's not to say, like, it, for me, it, it didn't take, it, that didn't really take much from what I enjoyed from the movie. Like, one, like one of the parts I absolutely loved, you know. Um, is uh, like things the things coming together at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how they were like they were like how they kind of like 
told you what they were, but they didn't tell you exactly what they're going to fully amount to. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that like uh, uh, that one kid, uh, I think the kid name was, you know, something with an M. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Bruce. <laughs> the kid Bruce, how how he had told uh, Finney, like, oh, your arm is mint. Mm-hmm. Pretty much saying that, like, you have, like, a lot of power in that arm. Mm-hmm. And how you're going to, like, use that. It, how you will use that eventually. Or even, like, the fact that he was like, oh, we just need you to, like, dig a hole. Mm-hmm. Don't fully explain it, but just dig a hole. Like, that's it, yeah. right? Um, well, they do explain it. It just doesn't work out the way he thinks, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like... They think he thinks that he's gonna dig a hole because he can get under the foundation of the house. Yeah. But that never comes because that's just way too much work. Yeah. And then the other the crazy boy mm-hmm. who I swear is like a twenty five year old man, <laughs> um, told him to like dig through the wall and like go to the back of the freezer. Yeah, to and, get, and, and, and he to, didn't say to get the meat. Yeah, yeah, but the but he I guess he I don't say like the the, the that that 25 year old boy was like, you're going to use this meat. But the, it gave the kid enough room or forethought to be like, Oh, I'm going to use this meat eventually to like, get out of the room. He didn't, he didn't know what he was going to do until the time came. No, I know. But like, you know how, you know how like, well, like you're saying everything came together. Yeah. But I'm yeah, just saying like, yeah. nothing was explained the way, mm-hmm. you know, even the year arm is mint thing. Like he's like, dude, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Until yeah, so it all came together at the end. Um, during, during my experience at the at the screening at Beyond Fest, that part where um, Ethan Hawke falls through the hole and like breaks his ankle, mm-hmm. I remember the audience going, "Oh, right!" And then like when the kid like it is hitting him over the head with the telephone with the with the receiver the receiver. I remember the audience was like hooting and hollering they're like yeah fucking do it again do it again <laughs> and the funny thing is like watching this a second time i'm just like do it again like it doesn't enough you need him harder i do kind of think that the fact that you watched it with uh an audience mm-hmm. that that feeling stuck with you yeah, yeah because i don't i wasn't like yeah like mm-hmm. maybe a little bit i was like maybe like yay <laughs> that's it I wasn't like gonna need. We need to celebrate. Did, did, did you, I don't think. I, I honestly don't think that had a like with that particular. Scene, I don't think that had anything to do with it as well because there have been uh, plenty of other things I've watched and seen a character get the shit kicked out of him and been like, "Thank you, I fucking need that." You know. Yeah. Clear example was uh, most recent example was what's the, what's the show uh, Euphoria. Oh when the yeah. The kid gets like the shit kicked out of him, and mm-hmm. I'm like, rewind it. I, I think you and I. I think. I know. I, I weren't you and I watching that first episode together, mm-hmm. and wasn't I like screaming like, "Yeah, like do it mm-hmm. harder!" <laughs> All that shit. Um, I just like seeing people get the shit kicked out of them when they fucking deserve it. Yeah, that's true. Um, what else? Uh, so you know what? I actually I just I came across something uh, while we're while we're reviewing this, and that Scott Derrickson. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Scott Derrickson has said he should just change his name. I know the Derrickson just a fuck with me. <laughs> he has said he has said that he has a fun idea for a sequel if the film is successful. Ah. And given that this film uh, has gotten a lot of rave reviews, not just from critics but from audience members, um, I think right now on the Rotten Tomato score is like maybe like eighty nine percent or something like that. 
And it is considered a successful film given that the budget was low. Mm-hmm. I think that is a strong possibility. Also given that um, the two have made Sinister and then they made Sinister 2. Yeah. Um, so would you want to see a sequel of, of this? Yeah, I'd be curious enough to watch it. Yeah, I, w- I would really want to see like where would he go with... Uh, Maybe he's like abducting with- people in prison. Who, the grabber? <laughs> yeah. Even though he's dead? <laughs> But see, that's very curious. Like, <laughs> like, like. Clearly, the grabber is dead. The phone literally it's broken. It's broken. So, do you just have like another phone that's ringing and another grabber and another grabber, or like, I, like not even not even like another grabber. Maybe it's just like a phone call from the from the beyond helping a victim during a, a kidnapping or some a uh, robbery or. I kind of like wonder if it doesn't more center around the girl and what she might be able to do to help other kids because hmm. you know what I mean? I would, okay. I'm of two minds. I would like to see it if done correctly, but I've seen stuff like that done in sequels and failed miserably. Mm-hmm. Like, like either the, uh, the original creative team are like not behind it or they jump a number of years where they can't use the same, uh, Character. character oh no they or actor to, yeah, or actor yeah in that in that same role um but like i said you know scott derrickson mm-hmm. yes all right <laughs> scott derrickson has like i said he has said that like he had he has a fun idea if if the film is, is a success for a sequel you know who should join the team if um they do hmm. the guy who did uh house on haunted hill I don't know. Dude, the house on Haunted Hill? Mm-hmm. You mean Haunting of Hill House? That's, yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'm like, Vincent Price? <laughs> <laughs> you mean Mike Flanagan? Yeah. Because I think he could uh, add a, that maybe? level of supernatural into it. Yeah. Like, I really like Mike Flanagan's work. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Kelsey and I did a review of Doctor Sleep, and we both really enjoyed that movie. Uh, Haunting on Hill House was really great. Uh Midnight Midnight Gospel? No, Midnight Mass. That's a, That was a really great film. Doctor right, Sleep uh, sorry, is a series. great example because before, because I, I completely forgot that he did that. Mm-hmm. But in my head, I was thinking about that the girl in that movie. Oh, the actress? When I, yeah, when I was thinking about like how they could take um, Gwen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can... Okay, so I totally agree with you with, with that. However... If you want, if Mike Flanagan were to direct that, I don't think he would want to touch it because he he would probably look and be like, "I'm just doing Doctor Sleep again." Yeah, and, and he doesn't come off as as a guy who wants to really rehash stuff. I mean, I know there's a haunting of I think it's called Haunting of Blind Manor. That one sucks. Yeah, but like it's still different from a haunting on Hill House. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, Midnight Mass. And I think he'd only different. made that one because he, the fans wanted it so much, and he's like, "Okay, fine." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though that's that's based off of based off a book, but it seems I've seen like a an episode or two, and I was just like, this is not the same. I'm just not really digging this. Yeah. Um, but mind you, like I said, I saw Midnight Mass, and I'm just like, yo, whatever that dude does, like I'm for it. I'm totally for it. Except for haunting a blind manor. Except for haunting a blind manor. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. Um, okay, so uh, final say on the black phone. Do you think people should check it out? Yes. Totally agree with you. I think people should check it out as well. Um, yeah, it's a good film. 
totally dig it. Mm. Joe Bob, <laughs> I was going to say, Joe Bob says, check it out. I know, Joe Bob said, <laughs> check it out. Four stars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what, what, are we, what do we got next? Next, we are going to do our variety time. So, we obviously are doing the Heathers as our geriatric cinematic. So, Mark dug up some articles and we found some stuff that, you know... Good stuff. Some good stuff. You know, some stuff to talk about. Some stuff to be stuffy about. Mm-hmm. Um, about how the Heathers, how Heathers, not the Heathers, mm-hmm. how Heathers changed teen comedy forever. Yeah, so I found this really interesting article from The New Yorker uh, titled Heathers Blew Up the High School Comedy by uh, Naomi Fry. Um, I like how you spelled my name. Did I spell Kelsey wrong? Kelsey. <laughs> it's French. Kelsey. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I figure we, because it, it, it's funny because I didn't think about, I didn't think about Heathers this way until I found this article. And I've seen Heathers like a bunch of times. Um, I guess maybe because I wasn't thinking about um, where Heathers was in, in, in time or in like the pop culture zeitgeist around that time this mm-hmm. movie came out in 1989 and before that we had like the john hughes film uh you know like uh, uh 16 candles breakfast club and stuff like that uh the films like say anything you know it was like these kind of like high school like comedy slash dramedies and stuff like that that was really you know kind of define like that error you know mm-hmm. of, of, of 80s you know so uh, so, like I said, the article is called Heather's, uh, Heather's Blew Up the High School Comedy. So the article reads, in the course of the 80s, nothing formed my understanding of what it meant to be a, a teenager, and particularly an American teenager, more than the movies of John Hughes. So the, Arthur, uh, the writer, you know, says, you know, brings up The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, and Sixteen Candles. Um, now, they were, they featured American teenagers um life you know during the movie life was a battleground their parents pushed them around or ignore them the teachers were bored or boring they were confused about sex and even more so about love race was rarely a problem remember most of these movies were just a white cast you know mm-hmm. and if race was ever brought up it was a used as a punchline or, or a stere- fake wokeness yeah or a stereotype like for example in 16 candles uh most famous like slum dog dong um and the article continues, but class and especially money was and class and money translated into chief issues seemingly dodging every American teenager's life, high school cliques and one's ability to break free of their constraints in order to discover who one really was. No matter how difficult these issues were to deal with, however, teens were able to overcome them by overcome them by, uh, by the end of John Hughes uh, movies, which mm-hmm. most of the time, if not most, if not all the time, happy ending. Who did Hairspray? Oh, that was a John Waters film. Now see, that. Teen comedy, realistic, but actually brought up some serious issues. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and race, too, but it was yeah. kind of done right. Yeah, but see, that's a, that's, a, that's a John Waters film. He's the one who goes against the norms, you know? He's just like... What's the other guy's name? John Hughes. Oh, it's the Battle of the Johns. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. 
the movie's repetitive art guaranteed that the burnt that the burnout uh, and the prom queen could set their conflicts aside, as could the rich guy and the poor girl and the jock and the weirdo. And the result was a new, more perfect union, which was more often than not sealed with a kiss. So a little side sidestep. Um, uh, Meg, uh, my girlfriend who has co-hosted this podcast a couple of times, hates the breakfast club. Absolutely hates the movie because at the end of the movie, this is a spoilers for a, a movie that's well over 30 years old the characters who's you know like i said the queen the weirdo the jock the quiet girl and like the outsider all come together and come to an understanding right you know we're we we know each other we feel each other but we'll never talk to each other at the end in high school ever again mm-hmm. right which i understand that i still like the movie but i can still see the issues with like this is total bullshit yeah um, given that anybody who's dealt with the bullshitness of high school, myself, Kelsey, and I'm sure some of your listeners, it's it doesn't it's not like that in high school. Okay, so the article continues. The consistency of this teen movie t- uh, template was like why Heather's uh, was likely why Heather's directed by Michael uh, Lemon, written by Daniel Waters, and the feature debut. A feature film debut of both came as a shock. Um, the movie was released in the States in 1989, where it was for the most part a critical hit, yet it was a box office bomb. So, as and the characters, JD, uh, who was played by Christian Slater, Veronica, who's played by Winona Ryder, gave Heather Chandler, Heather Chandler, the cruelest, most powerful member of the Heathers, a poisonous concoction. Had and some of the like some of these questions that like popped up had they just killed her a teen movie would include murderers uh murderers could it which yeah like even like um kelsey have you seen any of the 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 teenage comedy films of the 80s i think the only ones you might have watched is like ferris bueller day days off yeah i think that's kind of it okay because they're not really my bag Mm -hmm. so but like just like how that movie is, mm. that is the template for a lot of these teenage movies. Yeah. You know, and th- normally there's like a, an ending of an understanding, somewhat of a happy ending, but nobody normally dies. Okay. Mm. So the fact that this movie includes included not just people dying, but the fact that these were high school kids doing the murdering. Yeah. Okay. In order to subvert the westberg high school oppressive hierarchy 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 thank you jd with veronica's half unwitting uh help kills not only heather chandler but also kurt and ram two popular brewish football players and the and the couple stage the murders as uh suicide to cover their tracks at first veronica is enamored of the trench coat wearing jd and his anti-establishment swagger but soon enough, she begins to chafe against his attempts to dominate her and is increasing bloodless. Uh, she breaks up with him, and after she discovers his initians, uh, intention to bomb the school, surprises him in Westberg's boiler room where she manages to fuse explosive as uh, explosive he has planted. In the movie's climactic scene, Veronica looks on deadpan from the school front steps as JD blows himself up, the cigarette she has placed in her mouth smoldering from the heat of the explosion. This was the Heather's alternative to an end of a movie, end of movie kiss. Mm. Which is totally true. It doesn't end 
in in the in the typical fashion. So that, she, oh, I mean, she does kiss somebody though. Oh, other uh, uh, Heather, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, Shannon Doherty look like Shannon Doherty. <laughs> Shannon Doherty. Uh, <laughs> this type, uh, the types of tropes were all there: mean girls, jocks, bullying, upper middle class, uh, idiotic or abusive part- parents, delusional teachers, a bad boy crush. But they were all relentlessly amplified, turned into grotesque. The tune was uh, the tone was arc. Uh, the tone was art dripping with self-awareness. Uh, for example, the dear, I, dear diary, my angst bullshit was a body count, has a body count. <laughs> Veronica scribbles in her journal. The script was full of nasty, snarky catchphrases. Fuck me gently with a chainsaw is perhaps especially memorable. Another great line is I love my dead gay son. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> the visual palette was garishly technicolor, a teen dream made nightmare. The bloody fluids from uh phlegm to vomit to blood flowed in short heather seemed influenced as much by blue blue velvet as by 16 candles and it paved the way for an era of darker edgier and more experimental teen comedies so that comparison to blue velvet totally agree with it i know you haven't seen blue velvet but blue velvet starts off in this idealized america white picket fence blue sky sunny people are going to church and that shit is disrupted by the by the appearance of a severed ear mm-hmm. just surrounded by ants and how the camera just like focuses on it uh-huh. and it kind of just breaks this idea of like the perfect America um, the devotion of Heather's to visual execs uh, comes through notably in the movie's satirical uh, language the Heather's wear a uniform of exaggerated proportions a cross between uh, Leona Hemsley style career woman togs and 50s uh, schoolgirl cosplay enormous shoulders jackets oversized Oxford shirts buttoned up to the top large brooches and scrunchies Heather Chandler is claimed like a talisman by Heather Duke at, after the former's death short plaited skirts bobby socks all in bright Memf- Memphis uh Milano tones of red, turquoise, and yellow. The look is, by definition, too much. This is Queen Bee fashion more menacing than stylish. The Heathers belong to an enduring tradition of leading ladies who gossip, backstep, and broadcast their social power through over-the-top outfits. Veronica, played by writer, begins the movie in the clothing that apes the proportions of Heather's outfits, uh, albeit in more somber tones, uh to match her pale skin and dark hair as her character begins to pursue a life of crime under JD's tutelage, she transitions to the destructive grab garb of outlaw, turtlenecks, sunglasses, soft shoulder jackets. By the end of Heather's post-explosion, she is grimy, bristly hair, unchurned, half-Victorian chimney sweep, and half uh, Susie Sue, the evidence of the battle uh, she has fought and won against JD's uh, smeared on her body in soot. So that all makes sense. Because if you think about it, later in the 90s, the counterculture, the whole like weird kid look and stuff like that was like prevalent in these 90s comedy mm-hmm. to the point where like they were the leads. It was cool to be as different as Veronica. Yeah. In 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 uh, uh Heathers. Which is funny. I don't think that made any difference. <laughs> To the kids in school. Like, it still wasn't cool mm-hmm. to be different. Yeah. Uh, Ver- so, she pulls out quotes. Veronica, you look like hell. Heather Duke tells her surprise, to, f- to which Veronica responds, yeah, I just got back. She then leaves a charred black kiss mark on Duke's cheek before helping herself uh, to her crunchy. 
if scrunchy. You, scrunchy, thank you. If Hughes tended to pri- uh, to prize a makeover moment in this movie, he uh, who could forget all of uh, Shady's, ch- Shady's transformation from outlier weirdo to garden variety dream girl in The Breakfast Club? <laughs> I hate that scene. <laughs> Veronica's metamorphosis and Heather seems to critique that impulse by turning it on its head. So... The 30 years since the release of Heathers have solidified its legacy in more ways than one. Though JD emerges at first as a sensitive alternative to the football-playing lunkheads of Westberg High, it becomes increasingly clear in the course of the movie that he is the product of what we call now toxic masculinity. No less so than the casually brutal Kurt and Ram. Uh, JD is the kind of man who turns to vines because he feels that First, his mom, and later his girlfriend, didn't love him enough. With his trench coats and firearms, he can now see now be seen as a harbinger of the Columb- um, Columbine era, in which we unfortunately still much reside. Do you, did I, you get that sense? Because I, I got that no, sense. No, I totally of, got that. Yeah. Um, I disagree with the toxic masculinity part. Really? To a degree. Okay. It's definitely toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. to give your girlfriend or the girlfriend that's trying to break up with you Mm -hmm. an ultimatum, like, love me or people will die. That's Mm -hmm. toxic as fuck. Yeah. And, you know, like toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. But I feel like every other part about him Mm -hmm. is not about masculinity and everything to do with how he views the world after seeing tragedy and dealing Mm -hmm. with a father who's inadequate. Okay. I can see that. So I feel like the toxic masculinity is just a small part and mm-hmm. also maybe like a like a symptom of a larger issue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, he just wants, I mean, if it was a girl, it wouldn't be toxic masculinity. Like if they were mm-hmm. lesbians. Mm, okay. I think it, it really is just like he wants someone to love him and he doesn't know what it looks like. But isn't that a form of toxic masculinity? masculinity? It's just toxic it's toxic okay you know what i mean i yeah i I do get that i i mean i definitely get do get that sense of toxic masculinity masculinity within this film and Mm -hmm. i'm and granted i I did not watch this when this first came out i watched this like later in my teens and did see jd uh somewhat as like the cool kid that i wanted to be of course until columbine happened and and how these kids now today are like shooting up schools and stuff like that like i'm not saying like these shooters saw the JD character um, in Heather's, but if they did, they completely missed the message. Mm-hmm. They thought like, "Oh, that's totally cool. I want to be the outsider like that." That's how you be the outsider: pull out your gun and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which proves this movie's like was well ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, so the article continues: uh, the movie was ahead of its time, as it just said. In another respect, two years before Brett Brett Easton Ellis published his satirical critique of the '80s in American Psycho in 1991, Heather's drew a uh, persistent link between the self-satisfied dominant uh, Ayn Rand cruelty of the Reagan era and the other side of the coin, the psychopathic violence. Real life sucks losers. Uh, real life sucks. <laughs> sucks losers dry. If you want to fuck with the Eagles, you have to learn to fly. Veronica quotes Heather Chandler as uh, telling her, JD, despite his seemingly submersive um, eth- uh, ethics, ends up uh, expunging a vicious credo that mimics the heathers division of the world into the powerful and the powerless he and the heathers are all in a sense versions of patrick bateman ellis's yuppie psychopath sociopath Mm -hmm. 
I totally see that. Yep. That is totally there. Uh, the climactic scene of Heather speaks to it's um, let me out of position uh, between the 80s and the 90s. As Veronica tussles with JD to dismantle the bomb, he plants in the school boiler room at one point shooting off his finger to pep uh a pep rally is underway in the gymnasium above their uh above them one of my favorite parts oh really yeah i was like okay i love that okay all right all right we'll hold on to that we'll talk about that once we get into the review uh the the uh the uniform pom-pom waving cheerleaders bear more than a passing of resemblance to the so-called anarchy cheerleaders who who would appear two years later in nirvana's smells like teen spirit whether wholesome or sexualized the cheerleader has often stood for all that is adore and desire and uh microcosm of the american high school but in nirvana's video and in heather's too the figure is no longer uh separable from the dark sludgy energies churning in the bowels of the school in the 90s the chiller once the ultimate symbol of feminine desirability became the embody embody for many artists and filmmakers the irony of american identity Mm -hmm. totally agree with that because if you Going back to, um, going back to uh, the the Breakfast Club, Molly Ringwald was like, she was the prom queen. I believe she was like a cheerleader too in that in that movie, if I remember correctly. But she was the the the, the misunderstood girl. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's it's so hard being on top. It's so hard people wanting to be like you. You know, like that kind of mentality, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Which now if you think about it, don't mean jack shit. Yeah. Um, so finally, Heather's is almost proto-grunge and its disdain for the Reaganite fantasy. By presenting American violence side-by-side side with American wholesomeness, the movie dismantles the flimsy alibi the latter so often provides to the former. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I feel like you can still apply a lot of the ideology within this movie to today. Like, but it's, I, I feel like, it falls on a lot of teenagers' deaf ears who watch this movie. Yeah, they're just like, oh, this is really fucking crazy, and I like this movie. Like, yeah. okay. Honestly, there were times where I had a bit of a hard time with this movie because mm. the way I viewed my time in middle school and high school and even in, you know, elementary school mm-hmm. was with all of the fucking stereotypes turned up. Oh, okay. That's how I experienced it. Like this movie is a great example of how I experienced school. Yeah, and this and the 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 state the school takes the movie takes place is in Ohio, so that's kind of that's kind of around your area. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I totally like I totally agree that like especially after this like '90s high school comedies shifted incredibly. Um. I. I think the only high school movie that I remember watching that I actually liked it did, wasn't even out in the '90s. It was out in the early 2000s, and that was Can Hardly Wait. And I was able to better relate more to that movie. Um, kind of. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. So. It's like I said, I, but I haven't watched that movie in like 20 years, so I probably will just like throw up while watching that movie. Like, Ugh, it's just gross. <laughs> our geriatric cinematic of Michael Lehman's Heathers. Three blind mice! Three blind mice! Heather Chandler, Heather McNamara, Heather Duke, 
Veronica Sawyer. Why are you such a mega brat? Because I can be. The most powerful click at Westerberg. God, Veronica, drool much? Most people would die to get into it. Heather number one just looked right at me. I'm worshipped Westerberg, and I'm only a junior. Veronica would kill to get out of it. You were nothing before you met me. You were a Girl Scout cookie. JD has come to answer her prayers. I'm a no-rest build-up man myself. Well, kill her. He's got a way with women. A way with words. Is this as good for you as it is for me? Life can suck! And a very special way with a gun. This movie came out in 1989, and the synopsis is, At Westerberg High, where cliques role, jocks dominate, and all the popular girls are named Heather, it's going to take a Veronica and a mysterious new kid to give teen angst a body count. Directed by Michael Lehman. It's written by Daniel Waters. You said John Waters. No, I said John Waters when you were asking about um, Hairspray. But there was another John that you were talking about. John Hughes. And how does he play in this? He directed Sixteen Candles. Oh, okay. The Breakfast Club. For some reason, I thought Michael Lehman did those. Like an idiot. No. Okay. Um, it stars Winona Ryder... Christian Slater, Shannon Doherty, Lisanne Fall, and Kim Walker. Are you sure that was Shannon Doherty? I don't know. <laughs> so Maybe for, they're different people, but they have the same name. So for folks who don't know, uh, you and who who don't follow us on Twitter, um, while Kelsey and I were watching this movie, you know, and we genuine we generally watch these movies together, the new ones and the old ones. Uh, if not, we try to pick one or the other. Uh, but we're watching Heather's, and there's a scene where it's clearly Shannon Doherty. Doherty. No, I'm gonna say it in how I want to say it now. <laughs> Doherty. Doherty. Um, and Kelsey says, "You know that girl with the red hair looks like Shannon Doherty." Like, she kind of looks like her. Yeah, in a certain light. Mm-hmm. In a certain light. I'm like, you talking about Shannon Doherty? <laughs> <laughs> and then for the for the duration of the movie, I just proceeded to say her name incorrectly. <laughs> like, Shannon Doherty. <laughs> anyway, so Heather's, um, uh, like, I, like I said in a variety of times, I had watched this movie several times growing up. Um... I have always loved the satirical nature of this movie. Hell, I even really enjoy uh, the performance in this movie. Renato Ryder, Christian Slater. Um, and I'm not going to lie that I, you know, as I said earlier, I thought the way Christian Slater carried himself and like his outfit and everything, I thought it was pretty fucking badass. Mm-hmm. I really dug it, despite, you know, what happens later in and the world where we get the Columbines, we get uh, what was the most recent shoot? They seem like they Evaldi, happened. yeah, Evaldi shooting, like you know, stuff like this happening. Um, so I really, I still really love this movie, but as per usual, no one gives a shit about what I think. Uh, what does Kelsey think about this? Love it. You love it. I love this movie. Go this on. kid screaming in the background loves the yeah. movie too. You're like, can we watch Heather's again? <laughs> What did you love about this movie? I loved the different factions mm-hmm. of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I loved the um the big girl. What was her name? Uh, her name was like. I mean, I actually have it somewhere. Want to be like Martha or something? It is Martha Dump Truck. Okay. Um. I I liked her character honestly because the Martha Dump Truck character. Yeah, I okay. liked her character because. Mm-hmm. They didn't try to write her as too, like, charismatic or, like, give her this huge purpose and beat you over the head with it. Mm -hmm. Like, you still have to dissect this film to understand what the fuck was her purpose. Okay, yeah. Even though she was, like, a somewhat of a minor character, but she does have a point, uh, especially at the end with her uh, her character and -hmm. and Veronica. Like, they pick on her... Mm -hmm. And then she's like, okay, well, all these popular kids are, this is, this is why I like her a lot. Okay. All the popular kids are killing themselves. Mm-hmm. If they're going to do it and they're unhappy, then it makes my unhappiness okay. With, like, as in you or as in the Martha, the Martha Dumpchuck character? Her. But okay. also, mm-hmm. I've been there with. The way how it, she's felt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Like, with someone at work, like, mm. passed away. Oh, wow. Okay. Remember I told you? Yeah, yeah. It was one of your co-workers. And or I, his, and or I his co- father or something like that, right? Well, they both worked there. Okay. They were a father-son team. Yeah. And the fact that everyone loved him and came out, like, I didn't know him that well because I was mm-hmm. fairly new. Mm-hmm. And I cried and cried and cried because, like, everyone loved him so much. And then I came away feeling like... If everyone loved him and he still killed himself, then it I almost was at peace with myself knowing that I could do it and it was fine. No, it wouldn't be fine. I know it's not. Don't do it. <laughs> so that's what I saw when I looked at her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm surprised. That's that's the character that you connected with the most. Am, am I fair to make that assumption or am I wrong? Um, I don't think I connected with her exactly mm-hmm. because she, I don't know, I, like, I wasn't that big in school and, like, I was much more social or I tried to be even mm-hmm. though people made fun of me or, like, didn't want to talk to me because I was like, hey, want to be my friend? Hey, want to be my friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but even, even, even some of the... Uh, most uh, sociable kids in high school can still get picked on as fuck. Right. Yeah. So I I just felt like she was too quiet oh, for okay. me to really connect with her in that way. Yeah. I just saw the similarity in that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, I kind of did connect more with Veronica. Okay. Because in my mind, I'm kind of like, none of this fucking matters. Like, yeah, I yeah. don't give a shit about the popular person. Mm. They can go fuck themselves. And people are fake. And yeah. um, there are a few real people in the world. Like, her friend, what was her name? Betty? Um, I know which one you're talking about. I don't have the actress's name in front of me. Yeah, but I think the character's name was Betty. Mm. Um, And it's like, you kind of don't... I don't think she even really realized what she was giving up, what Veronica was giving up when she decided to join the Heathers. Yeah, Betty, Betty, uh, the character is Betty Finn, played by Renee Estevez. Yeah. Okay, go on. So I just think that she, um, she didn't realize what she was giving up 
when she was going to join the Heathers until she gave it up. And oh, Veronica, like, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even though, even though the Veronica character, yeah, like like this movie doesn't waste time in the Veronica character being like these people are full of shit. You know, but she just like rolls with it because she feels like she has to roll with it. And I and I feel that I feel that the Veronica character is like that person in, in school that had their friend had a friend that they grew up with, like in elementary school, they were close, and then high school kicks in and then they start drifting apart because that person mm-hmm. shifts over. But you're still somewhat friends with them mm-hmm. because of your history. Actually, I I see like the the like the skeptical nature of Veronica mm. I can connect with, but honestly, I think I always ended up being the Betty. If okay. I was going to say I was anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, people forgot about me or I was a wallflower. People didn't make time for me mm. and I was alone. Okay. I get you. I get you. Um, I, I mean, the, the only person who I connected with was obviously the JD character, but you know, not, not now. I definitely don't connect with them now because I grew the fuck up. <laughs> but like, you know... Um, what about the nerds at the table who are like, oh my god, she looked at me. No. Nah. Surprisingly, <laughs> I was never like that. Even though like in high school, I hung around with different crowds, except for jocks and cheerleaders because I fucking hate them because they were full of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but like, like, but the whole ideology of like the hierarchy, hierarch- hierarchy, hierarchy, thank you, the hierarchy of school politics is like so full of shit like uh, like i had i had an all right time in high school mainly because i was on drugs or drinking mm-hmm. at that time um and i needed to do that to, to, to cope with high school mm. <laughs> because i i have i the only like i said the only fond memory i have of high school was outside of high school mm-hmm. um so the whole this whole movie of like high school's full of shit, these people are full of shit. Even like how the kids who are like not the Heathers um, are full of shit mm-hmm. because these uh, you know these characters, you know these Heathers are dying. The the two jocks are dying. The the jocks are dying, right? And there is this level of like. Um, there's like this level, not the Heather. There's like only one Heather dies, um, but like this death around school and how everybody like somehow feels connected to that person. Oh yeah. Even though, and they there's even that great scene in the movie where like they they recorded people's testimony, like students' testimony, like oh yeah we were friends or oh yeah we dated blah blah. And I remember when I was in high school, I, people had died. Like something had happened, you know, whether it was a suicide or accidental or like whatever. And someone was waxed poetically about that person. And it was like, what are you talking about? You never fucking hung out with that person. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just has this level of like bullshit that Heather's had in 1989. And I was in high school from 98 to 2002. Mm-hmm. I like, it, like the bullshit was there like period, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, that's one of the reasons why, like, I really connect to this movie, and why, like, especially like the comedy, like the satirical nature, and like the catchphrase, the phrases that are used in this movie are like fucking amazing. Yeah, uh, which I think is like way ahead of its time. I agree with you. Um, I was, for the record, I was in high school from '01 to '05. And, okay, so with that being said, oh, so like you, like you had said during our variety time, the kids in this movie. 1989 
were just that were as grotesque, if not more so, when you're in high school, correct? Not even just high school, but yeah. I don't know if you'd be surprised to know that I felt like fourth and fifth grade were mm. worse than any other grade I'd ever been in. Really? Yes. Huh. Like, they were already talking about having sex and, like, kissing and all this shit. Like, yeah. I was, like, nine years old. I give two shits about any of that. Yeah, I remember I remember a lot of shit like that happening and st- with me starting middle school. Actually, but, sixth grade was bad, too, because mm. these two girls were always picking on me, and I didn't know how to handle it. So it was a lot like Cameron, how she gets, like, overzealous about shit. Yeah. And I didn't know how to fight back. So yeah, six, uh, six, seventh were bad for me. Eighth grade not so much. Ninth grade was bad. Tenth, not really. It was it's kind of a blank. But eleven, twelve, it wasn't. It didn't bother me because I was stoned more than half the time. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. What did you think of Winona Ryder and Christian Slater's performance? I really like their performance. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about Winona Ryder. Really? I'm so used to seeing her in Beetlejuice mm. that seeing her with any level of like real makeup and nice hair mm-hmm. kind of looks weird to me. Okay. That's understandable. Okay. Yeah. So... I don't know. I like sometimes it took me out of it, honestly. I feel like I don't know why. I feel like I should show you Alien Resurrection, because that's a hard that's a hard sci fi movie that she's in. Yeah. And I, I granted that movie's not good, but I feel like if I show you that movie, you'll be like, what? <laughs> well, that and maybe like Girl Interrupted as well. She had a really great performance in that movie. Also, her voice is like much deeper than other girls. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a plus, but at the same time, mm. kind of takes me out of it too. Really? Yeah, because she doesn't sound like other girls. Like, it's kind of like it's kind of like Leia. Leia doesn't sound like other girls, and she has a deep voice. Yeah, but she doesn't. I don't know the way Winona Ryder talked. Mm-hmm. She had kind of like an accent, like mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it, but she didn't sound intelligent sometimes, like. She couldn't polish her words or something. Mm, okay. the, the deepness in Leia's voice is not artificial. Like, it uh, felt artificial gotcha. with Winona Ryder. Because mm. I've heard her talk in other things, and I mm. just felt like she was putting on a play. Mm, I gotcha. I gotcha. So, how would you feel if a Veronica was played by Jennifer Connelly? I would, I would agree with that. I would believe it. I don't think Jennifer Connelly can bring it as dark as Renata Ryder writer does in this movie. No, but definitely Brooke Shields. Mm-mm, definitely not Brooke Shields. She's too happy. Like when I see her face, I just think of happiness. I swear I've seen her in something where she wasn't happy. Uh, uh well, she was in the movie Freak. <laughs> uh, what would you think of Drew Barrymore? She totally could have done it. Yep. I think I think Drew Barrymore would have been pulling from some serious like shit inside of her. She was really that. fucking smart. I recently saw um, a an interview she did with 
I think David Letterman mm-hmm. when she was like nine. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah, she's been doing that for decades now. Uh, Brad Pitt as JD. Nah. Supposedly he was rejected because he was considered too nice. Yeah, but also he's kind of dopey. Yeah. Um, Johnny Depp? Yeah, but I don't think he could have brought the crazy. I think he could have. Not not like Christian Slater. Like, that's true. That's he could true. bring real crazy, but not mm-hmm. charismatic crazy, if that makes sense. Speaking of crazy, the reason why he pulls that, that level crazy is that he has said that his performance was heavily inspired by Jack Nicholson. I don't see it. You don't see it? Nope. That's totally there. Especially even how he like closes his eyes and his eyebrows and shit. No. That's totally Jack Nicholson. I don't think so. Uh, I think, like, cool, that inspired you, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't look like him or act like him to me. Like, I don't get any of that vibe, because Jack Nicholson, to me, Mm -hmm. is and always has been the true embodiment of, you're so fucking crazy, I might die. And JD Mm kind of gave me vibes of, like, I see the world as bullshit and I want to kill myself. Mm. So maybe it's just a different generational crazy (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Jim Carrey? No. Nah. Uh, you know who Judd Nelson is? No. Okay, we'll get past we'll surprise that. Jason Bateman. No. I don't think he I don't think he could have done it. Like Jason Now maybe, but not yeah. young Jason Bateman. And I think that's now because how we see him in Ozark. Yeah. That's yeah, totally. But back then this is the dude who was in Teen Wolf too. <laughs> um, so originally Daniel Waters wanted Stanley Kubrick to direct this movie. Nah, that wouldn't have been a good movie. I think it would have been. I think it would have been as dark as Clockwork Orange. Yeah, but you need the comedy to round that's it true. out. Like that's the mineral true. water thing is that's like true. super fucking funny. That mineral water line is so fucking funny. Oh, <laughs> well, here's here's the here's the here's the what is it? Here's, here's the evidence. Yeah, here's the no, here's the cherry on top. In, you know, in, uh, in in plotting the whole gay angle, mineral water. And I was like, what's wrong with mineral water? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, Daniel Waters wanted to wanted to, Stanley Cooper to direct this, but he said that like he couldn't get away from like a three hour version of this movie. <laughs> Shit, I know, right? Um, so Dan, writer Daniel Waters has said that. Um, that he, this is a quote. I did come up with this crazy cockamamie Heather's two, where Veronica. This is a sequel idea, for where Veronica becomes a page for a senator named Heather, played by Meryl Streep. The ending of the ending is her assassinating the president and getting away with it, and it's a good thing. That is a sequel idea. Eh. It, it, mm, you really couldn't do that now. Couldn't do it then either. That sounds awful. <laughs> Yeah, I think it would have been like. And who would the love interest be then? Uh, it, it, it is going any further than that. I think, I, honestly, it's so funny because, uh, as, as I had mentioned, as I read from the article in the, in the Variety Time segment, how Heather's was like a precursor to like American Psycho that came out in 1991. Okay. And if you watch, you can watch Heather's and then watch American Psycho back to back. These are, that's like a great double feature on commenting on the 80s. However, if they did a Heather's 2, it would probably be bad. And you can do that back and back to back with the American Psycho 2 movie, which is god fucking awful. <laughs> um, so 
Yeah, like this. I think like. Let me see what else. Uh, so I'll, I'll just go ahead and mention the the alternate endings that that were possible uh, in the original screenplay. In the original screenplay, there was an ending where Veronica kills JD by shooting him and then strapping the bomb to herself. Um, and it's like this over kind of like car- this kind of cartoonish kind of thing. And she, um, she, uh, she blows herself up. She she uh, she blows herself up, and that's like it right that's there. That's the end. Yeah. Okay. Another ending is that um, she, it does the whole thing where uh, the bomb is placed, but the school blows up, right? Mm-hmm. And it fades to black, and it like comes back to this eerie prom sequence in heaven, and it it ties to the notion of what JD said when he said, "The only time these people can be happy is in the afterlife." That's the only time unity can exist. It's so weird to me that someone like him would even believe in the afterlife. Uh, yeah, that's so... Because, like, most people, when they're like, yeah, I'm going to fuck everything up, yeah. they don't believe in anything because they're like, no one deserves to go to heaven anyway if it does exist. Yeah. But, like, God wouldn't choose this for anybody. But that's the thing. I think I think when, J- when JD says that, despite of him killing people and stuff like that and saying, like, the only time anybody can be happy in, is in the afterlife, I think that goes further into, like, his level of thinking of, like, this life is painful, I want to die. And, like, the afterlife is the best place to go. And I think I should make that decision for everybody. Yeah. Um, so, with, with that ending, the studio was like, that's too dark. We can't have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, another ending had... Um, Martha dump truck stabbing Veronica and she goes fuck you Heather and where Veronica is laying down on the ground with her knife in her stomach she replies my name's not Heather I'm not Heather and remember she like says that through mm-hmm. several times yeah Yeah. which how do you feel about that ending that doesn't make any sense I don't like that ending at all I think to me it kind of does make sense because it shows that like even though Veronica thinks that she's in the right, she's still in the wrong because she was still complicit and like, kind of like, she's she's still complicit into what he- the Heather's were doing. Yeah, but she never really did anything to Martha except for the note. But like, mm-hmm. she never called her out or caught her or whatever. I know, but that's the thing. Like, from Mar- from Martha Dump Truck's perspective, she still sees her as an accomplice. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, I, I wanted to I wanted to come back to what you said about that scene where uh, the particular scene that you said that I think was your favorite scene where JD gets his finger shot off. Mm-hmm. Why was that your favorite scene? Because it's unexpected. It's as simple mm. as that. It's unexpected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good enough. That's a good enough reason. <laughs> um, okay. So with all that being said, do you think this movie still holds up? Yes. Totally agree with you. I'll even go so far as to say not only does it hold up, but it's still sadly relevant absolutely absolutely and the funny thing is like it's yeah it's relevant but like the message is getting lost more and more as time has gone by because how a lot of people seem to forget or not acknowledge critical thinking and nuance with the media that they watched not just that but um all of the virtue signaling in the fucking movie Mm -hmm. nobody gets it yeah exactly that they're doing the same fucking thing and not affecting change yeah absolutely absolutely just feeling sorry for themselves (sighs) fuck ain't that true um 
Is that it? Anything else? That's it. All right. So that's going to be our show for this week. We want to thank everybody for uh, joining us for this week's show. We especially like to thank the folks over at Your Entertainment Corner for hosting this podcast on their website. Uh, for all your film news, TV news, and reviews, uh, go ahead and check out yourentertainmentcorner.com. Um, you can find this podcast on all podcast catchers, uh, you know, wherever you download them. Uh, so next episode, we're off next week, uh, but we will be back to review Thor Love and Thunder, which is in theaters July 8th on a Friday. Um, with that, you want to do your chores? Mm-hmm. All right. So Kelsey and I were going back and forth on our Jerry cinematic and what to pair up Thor, pair up with Thor Love and Thunder. Or do you, th- do you actually think the other one will be better? You know what? Let's do that. Let's do your choice. I just want to watch something really ridiculous and stupid. Okay. Like, let's just really watch something with a strong cult following. Okay. Um, so our geriatric cinematic is 1987's Master of the Uni- Masters of the Universe, uh, which is currently streaming uh, on HBO Max or in small bites on, a- on YouTube. And- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the other choice we were going to do was 1968's Barbarella, uh, but... I don't really think that one matches, though. I think it does because it's kind of like intergalactic, but one's like a female hero, one's a male hero, one is super sexualized, one is super sexualized. Super sexualized. <laughs> yeah, but no, we're just going to go with uh, 1987's Masters of the Universe. Um, the, the topic of that is uh, we're going to the inter- intergalactic gun show. <clears throat> That's me flexing. <laughs> you know, you should have used the uh, thing. Hmm. What thing? The modulator, because oh. it was intergalactic. Hold on, let me see if I can do it. Wait, wait let me see if I get the right setting right. All right, I'm gonna try it. We're going to intergalactic gun show. Nah, that's nah, good. <laughs> I tried. I tried. Well, you have to fuck up the settings more. I know. I know. Right. I know. Right. Can't do it on the fly. Uh, oh quick note for uh, you folks who are listening to this episode Uh, I will be um, I believe that's still on I will be guest co-hosting with Jay Jackson on his podcast The Nerdpocalypse uh, this week I say I think because I haven't he did offer me a spot but he hasn't brought it up since I imagine he's going to let me know the day of this recording um but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll most likely be hosting co-hosting that show with him because uh, the other co-host is out, uh, Micah, Micah Payne, who uh, just recently had a kid. Oh, nice! He had a second kid, so he's gonna be out for a month. So I'm gonna be probably be in the co-host, co-hosting seat for maybe like one or two episodes. That's nice. I was kind of always hoping that they would bring you on for a bit. For some reason, I just think you'd really be good on that show. I did do a, a an episode with Micah and uh and the co-host Brad. Um, yeah, but that was something that was for like a James Bond episode, and. We've been meeting to like get get back together for uh what's it called uh, No Time to Bleed where we talk about Total Recall but they haven't done that show for like a minute mm-hmm. so I don't know what's gonna happen but anyway but Nerd Apocalypse is like legit yeah it's legit so yeah check me out there probably be, be making a damn fool of myself there 
saying names incorrectly, stuttering, and, and just being an idiot like yeah. I normally am. And uh, I'm not there to correct you. Oh, fuck. Fuck.